couple small programming notes for you right off the top here. The first one is this uh, recording was plagued by a um, mysterious imaginary bouncing tennis ball. Um, we think we know what the recording problem was and we hope to never have it again, but um, we didn't catch it in time. So uh, so we appreciate your patience. This, this podcast does have a bit of an annoying um, kind of bounce thing happening with the microphone and um, we tried to cut it out as much as we could, but uh, yeah. It sucks. So sorry about that. Second note, we just wanted to remind all of our listeners that everything that we say in the podcast is our opinion and our opinion only. So I'm Jackie and I produce the podcast. I also edit it. Um, Stu is the co-host. He shows up and also bears his own opinions. And um, those aren't the, the opinions of, of anyone else um, beyond ourselves. To clarify our relationship with Sad Mag, it's really like family. So we have the same background, but different ways of expressing that. And a small programming note about story. This week, Stu was supposed to bring a depressing story, but his version of a depressing story was taxi drivers paying bellboys to skip the queue. And although I tried my best to have an interesting conversation with him about it, I decided to spare you the grief of Stu's adorable and pathetic attempt at uh, sad news. Okay, welcome to the sad... Oh, fuck. Starting again. <laughs> and welcome to Sadcast, episode two of the Sad Meg podcast. I'm Jackie Hoffer. I'm Stu Pop. The format is we talk about stories, art, and design, just like Sad Magazine does. Usually for stories, we bring a sad story or a happy story. Mostly topical. Uh, for art, it depends on what art we want to talk about yeah we might throw to music or, or movies or something happening around town and uh design is so far jackie making me take tests of my personality <laughs> i hope by the end of this we'll find out who designed me <laughs> we're just trying to get to the bottom of whether or not there's an intelligent design behind Stu. that's basically yeah. the design segment we are part of the Sad Mag family, and Sad Magazine is a quarterly magazine um, that focuses on local writers, local stories, um, and only uses analog photography, um, and it's volunteer-run. Uh, it's an incredible magazine, and uh, yeah, we recommend you go to sadmag.ca and sign up for a subscription. Yeah, and we'll put a link in the thing. Link in the thing, yeah. And we'll go through all of our details, but you can also find them in the info from uh, iTunes when you're listening to this. It should have a link to our show page. Yeah, we'll cover all those links at the, the end of the podcast. Exactly. Because uh, I actually found it really challenging to find a really positive story this week. I don't even really know what constitutes a positive story. Like, the happiest thing I saw on the internet this week was probably a video of a cat, like a kitten, actually being really confused by its own tail and just like batting at it for like three minutes which brought me a lot of joy. But then I saw this story on NewYorkMag.com um, about, it's called Bloodhounds. They're obsessed with period sex. And it's a story about the growing amount of, not necessarily men, but like kind of awareness of men or perhaps actually people broadly who are really into period sex. And to me, this is a good news story. <laughs> Um, so after quizzing, this is from the article, uh, written by a person named Maureen O'Connor. After quizzing friends and strangers and a few experts on the subject, I can now confirm that into periods is most definitely a thing for men and women both. Some reasons are physical and hormonal, others practical, and many more are tied to erotic associations and pride in reveling in the uncensored female body. So I found that kind of interesting. Um, I... 
sleep with women mostly, and so the occurrence of both women being having their period, it happens a lot, and it often, if people, if you rule out sex during your period, then you're really fucked, basically, a lot of the time. Because, <laughs> like, unless you're living together, I mean, I don't know, women do sync up, that's real, but, like, usually it's not that coordinated. And so- I can imagine if you were completely unsynced, it would be basically cutting the available time in half. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, I think, assuming, like, sex equals, like, vaginal penetration, yeah. which is definitely not the only kind of sex that is unavailable. But I think that, uh, I have to say, I'm definitely not a person who's, like, really experimented with, like, really bloody period sex. <laughs> this is, am I pushing your boundaries, Stu? <laughs> I am trying a little bit. No, uh, this is a conversation I have had uh, with a friend of mine who is, uh, back before this was ever discovered to apparently be a phenomenon, this, way back in the, the early aughts, gotcha. uh, I had a friend who was very much into yeah. this. I, on the other hand, not, not so much. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I feel like to each their own. I mean, I feel like there's... Plenty of women who are, like, not interested at all, and plenty of men who are not interested at all, and I think that's kind of fair. I mean, I think what's interesting, I suppose, is the kind of challenging of the notion of, um, you never, it's gross, or, like, that there's something essentially gross about this essential function of majority oh. of women's bodies. Obviously, like, that's not really... But bloody dick, uh, I feel, would be... That is a weird visual <laughs> that I'm not. I feel like we super have like a like a dick bell. Like what? What? How close are we into the podcast? Before they, it would have to be the like doing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Done. Um, my uncomfortability with this uh, it stems more from uh, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, so. There Which are... manifests in like a cleanliness way, or. Um, in this yeah, well, more like cleanliness with my person mm. rather than necessarily my surroundings. Right. I'm not an obsessive cleaner, but I don't like extremities to be sticky. Interesting. <laughs> it makes regular sex sometimes a little right. right. Um, but I get through because sex is fun. Okay, but sex is messy. Like, at the end of the day, it's like a sweaty, gross animal thing. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun and great, but messy. Um, but the thing is, I just can't really imagine what sort of setup I would have if I was going to have, like, crazy animal period sex. <laughs> because, I mean, would I get a tarp? Like, you know what I mean? Or, like, would it be in the bath? I mean, maybe in the bathtub. That makes some sense. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's a, something you could do in, like, a shower thing. At least for yeah heterosex, that's a little... The standing thing is oh, standing, fairly standing. easy to... Standing works with the gaze, too. Yeah. Let's hit that dick button again. Uh, <laughs> hit the dick button. Just to bring it back to the, the bloody dick thing. Yeah. Uh, was something that uh, said friend mm-hmm. uh, was very much into. Liked that visual, which is... Yeah, well, and I, so, I think that's what this article is about. Is kind of like, not just people who are sort of like okay with it or whatever, but people who are like... Into it. Yeah, he definitely drives something, like, very visceral from that, I think, so. Yeah, which is cool. And, I mean, I just feel like, you know, to each their own. But it's well, nice It's nice that there's... Not hurting anyone, right? So... Yeah, well... If everyone's into it. It just feels like there's so much shame women carry around about just having periods that to, you know, blow that conversation of sex into kind of all available time. Not, not that women should be, like, available as sexual objects any fucking time, but just that... 
just that, you know, if a woman is like wanting to do that, and then there's also, it opens up as an option that there are partners who might also be interested in mm-hmm. that. That's kind of, that feels nice to me, like that, that it's not such a, I guess, just taboo subject. Now, PMS sex is a whole other can of worms that I won't be opening. <laughs> I will not be opening. So VIF is upon us. VIF is coming, starts next week. So by the time this goes onto the internet, um, yeah, you'll be able to see movies in Vancouver at the Vancouver International Film Festival, which is shifting this year from previous years in little ways and will continue to shift over the next few years because there's a new executive director whose name is also Jackie. I met her last year and I was like, she was like, hi, I'm Jacqueline. And I was like, I'm also Jacqueline. And then I was like, I have this whole theory about how Jacqueline is like a power name. Like there's a lot of power Jackies in the world. Um, anyways, Biff, uh, how's it changing this year? I mean, there's like a focus on um, fashion, I think. Okay. Just a little bit different from normal. Um, they rebranded the forum to be industry. And... Uh, you know, I mean, it's shifted because of the closing of the Granville 7 as well, but that was different last year as well. And um, I don't know, I, uh, it's different this year because it's the first year there's actually no film film. It's all 100% digital this year. Oh, really? Um, but hit me with your VIP feelings before I give you my VIP story. Um, well, I, despite loving film, having gone to film school, all that jazz, I often miss VIP, usually because I'm poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not cheap to go to film festivals. Um but uh, I looked, there's a couple, there's one I definitely want to see, uh, if only because a friend of mine's short film is in the festival this year, which is very exciting. Um, but I took, I wrote down five movies that I would like to see. So the first, I'm going to pimp my friend's uh, short film. Do it. I'm going to do the uh, same thing. It's, uh, uh, it's called Dead Hearts. A zombie movie, also a bit of a romance movie. There's also werewolf bikers in it. Uh, all kinds of fun parts. And this is a Kung short Fu. film? Short film, yeah. Got it. Uh, it's by... Uh, it has kid actors. Yes, yeah. Oh, well, a dead person. Oh, amazing. That's quite a stunning image. We'll put a link to that on the page, but if you just go to VIF and look up Dead Hearts. Yeah, I believe it was as, he did it as a Crazy Eights oh, film okay. first, and now it's getting... Uh, really? Yeah, it was last year's Crazy Eights, I believe. Um, yeah, so the director is uh, Stephen W. Martin, not Steve Martin. Yeah. Um, and I went to film school with this guy, and uh, yeah, he's very good. He's got a great sort of macabre sensibility. Um, I highly recommend everyone go see it. I actually haven't seen it yet, but I trust it to be uh, good. He made one of the few decent films that came out of my film class. So, right on. Yeah, yeah. I almost so really be. like going to the Canadian shorts at VIF. And for anybody else, if you're kind of like, I don't know, VIF, like I don't really know how to deal with it, blah. Go see, go see Canadian shorts, just because you'll get a lot of variety. And you don't have that problem where you're like, I'm just going to pick a random film. And then it's like two hours of staring at like a donkey's ass, you know, or whatever. And you're like, oh, God, why did I choose this film? You know, even if it's kind of a weird film, you can, it's probably over in like 20 minutes. Hit me. What's the next one? Uh, We've got God Help the Girl. What's that one about? Is it Uh, a British movie? It's bright and poppy and Wes Anderson-y and I love it. (laughs) Is it a director that you've, oh, it's somebody's directing debut. Yes. Cool. And um, what was it that drew you to this particularly? Uh, I just kind of stumbled across the trailer before I even knew it was at VIF. Um, oh. And it just, it played to things I like. Mm-hmm. I like kind of saccharine, pulpy, Wes Anderson-y stuff. Yeah. So. See, this is where our overlap is. Some people would definitely be like, this is so twee, it hurts. 
Like, is it sort of, like, submarine-ish? I'm getting that feeling looking at those people. Um, Did you... I don't think it's quite as, uh... Like it's not... not quite as, like, downbeat as submarine is. Right. Okay. Hit Number me. three on the list is Maps to the Stars, hmm. uh, which is David Cronenberg's dark comedy um, with just a knockout cast. It's got Juliet Moore in it. I was going to say. So that's a shoe-in if you can't get into that one. That's, like, just screams best of the festival and also likely to get at least a release at Van City. Cronenberg, I mean, that'll get yeah. a Fifth Avenue or a... You'll see it somewhere else, You'll for see sure. It. Yeah, it's only got one showing, so it's, like, a special presentation. See, I'm generally uh, down for Cronenberg, uh, especially I've really enjoyed his, like, recent films quite a bit, so... I'm not that knowledgeable about Cronenberg, but I'm in, I'm interested in learning more. But Julianne Moore, I'll sign up anytime she's in something, <laughs> like, pretty much. I feel like she can't go wrong. Okay, next. Uh, it's Living is Easy with Eyes Closed. It's a Spanish film. Hmm. So I should have in, like, one foreign language film. <laughs> Yep. Um, and it's a guy that's heading to the strawberry fields to try and find John Lennon. Um, sorry, it's a period piece. Uh, it won mm. a bunch of Goya awards, which I'm guessing is the like Spanish yeah. Oscars. Not like uh, it's not like the Gentile yeah. Oscars, but that would just be Goya. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so it won best film, screenplay, and actor. I'm always down for stuff that wins best screenplay. I like good writing, so definitely. And it looks colorful, which I like. I like. Yeah. I'm kind of sick of bleak. Bleak. (laughs) So. I'm also sick of bleak. Um, And another one. This is more in here because it looks like it's kind of an acting tour de force. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called Foxcatcher. It's Channing Tatum and Steve Carell. Oh boy. Uh, Steve Carell playing off type though of a like domineering monster of a wrestling sponsor. Yeah. Channing Tatum playing an Olympic wrestler. It's apparently it's a true story. Yeah. Steve Carell has like a giant nose. Yeah, he's got a um, prosthetic. whole prosthetic thing going on. And brow, I think. His brow, I think, yeah, is maybe, prosthetic yeah. in this as well. Uh, and it builds a psychological drama. Cool. Go Steve Carell. Hopefully yeah. he doesn't have Robin Williams syndrome, where people just rejected him going serious. We'll just leave that <laughs> detour as it is. Uh, cool, that one has three showings, too, so that should be easy to catch. Although, again, this film has kind of like Viff repeats slash limited release kind of written yeah. all over it. So I mean, I heard it. about this probably like a year ago, was I think, when I first yeah. heard about it. So I imagine, yeah, you'll be able to catch it elsewhere. Yeah, but catch it at Viff if you can, folks, because, you know, support the festival. Mm-hmm. So I'll jump in now, and there's two different films that I um, helped on the set of that are going to be playing two short films. One called Withering Heights, starring Gabrielle Rose and Lyndon Banks and Bruce Harwood. Um, this is a Liz Cairns um, film. Oh, I know Liz. Yeah, Liz and Joe. Um, and um, so they developed it over a while, a couple of years, I think. And um, They've been working and, on it for a while. Yeah, and they, they shot it in December of 2012. Um, I was the assistant director on that set, and it was like my first... No, it was my second gig outside of after film school, and I took it really seriously because I take everything really seriously. And I had a meltdown on that set, but I was also really premenstrual. But the grip was a jerk. Um, well, assistant was directing like is probably jerk. one of the more stressful roles yeah. on a film set. So yeah, and it was winter, it. so it was cold and rainy and... Everything was like a little bit strange, but honestly, this movie—I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen any 
um, cuts at all. Like, I mean, I saw the whole thing get filmed, but there's actually a huge visual effects component, and um, I just think it's going to be great. And honestly, like, every single take of Gabrielle Rose was just magic. Like, this woman is a gift to our to our local scene, and I love that she just comes out and does shorts all the time. And, uh, I will definitely want to check this out. Yeah, so I don't remember. So this one's on the 29th and the 7th. Um, but yeah, Withering Heights, it's going to be great. Oh, it's part of the shorts program. We both go down together. Damn oh, yeah, no, it's in the same <laughs> one as Dead Hearts. Yeah. Hey, guys. See? Same page. Um, and then there's also one called Land of the Sun. And I was also ADing on this one. Um, different vibe. This one is about a young military couple trying to keep their marriage together. It's a little bit more kind of moody, ethereal, kind of arty film about just like a soldier and his wife and their kid and stuff. But it's really sweet and um, it's actually screening in front of a feature called Martin's Pink Pickle. What? That's an awful name. It's a fairly, <laughs> and at like... the same time, that name makes me want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Photograph, Although it appears but... to be part of the BC spotlight. Well, then go see it. Cause... Oh, David Fu did the music. Okay, well, that's cool. Well, that's what, this is... This so is lots a... of cool people involved yeah. in cool things. This people should go see. One to catch. So those are the two that I'm pretty stoked to see. Um, my other uh, film that I really wanted to see, but this will definitely get a Fifth Avenue release because apparently it's been nominated as the Canadian choice for the Oscars now. Okay. But uh, it's called Mummy by Xavier Dolan. I still haven't seen his first film just because it's apparently this is so Xavier Dolan is like a Quebec genius filmmaker guy. The name uh, does ring a bell. Yeah, he's also he also acts. He's like very kind of James Deany looking. He's sort of like that person you love to hate. He's like 21 and like made three amazing films oh, and he's like a total guy. jerk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but I also feel like let's notice that reaction in ourselves and go yeah. like. <laughs> what we really want is to support talent and various voices and blah, blah, blah. Anyway. But I really enjoyed Lawrence Anyways, which was his film from not last year, but the year before, maybe. I just keep, like, I've watched it over and over again, and I just think it's beautiful. So he makes kind of, like, complicated movies that are fairly artistic and, mm -hmm. like, a, have a aesthetic quality that is quite playful. Um... And, uh, yeah, so this one's supposed to be fantastic. I've heard I've heard that it's his best. It won some kind of crazy award at Cannes. But honestly, um, my kind of connection to Viv is that um, I also can't really afford it usually ever. Or if I can, I don't have the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so I always volunteer. And so this year I'm also volunteering. Because <laughs> if you volunteer for 32 hours, you get a festival pass. And then you can see whatever you fucking want. So I finally signed up for all my hours. And my other kind of, like festival hack is that I volunteer at the industry forum which is used to be before the festival but now is smack in the middle of it mm -hmm. and um, and then I try to like which is like a kind of way of attending the forum if you can get in the room which you can sometimes if you're skilled yeah. <laughs> and uh, then you get to see all these beautiful and interesting industry people talking which to me is very I mean I'm in that industry so for me that's pretty fascinating taking notes for next year <laughs> I think it's a really fun ushering into the kind of fall and winter too in, in Vancouver I think really the best thing my, my bottom line for Biff is just like if you get given tickets or if you just like find yourself in front of a theater and there's time like just kind of fucking see anything that's how you get 
some really great film that you would have never sort of selected. Okay, I think that's it for, for art for the week. I think I might throw to a different song every week just for a little clip, just for something fun. So I did go to the Lowell concert last week, uh, which was amazing. But um, Lowell was actually the second opener. And the first opener I hadn't heard of before, but it was a woman named Chersey. <laughs> my inc- my instinct is to pronounce it in a Japanese like manner of pronouncing Chelsea, which would be like Chelsea, <laughs> but it's Chelsea. And uh, yeah, she's like a looper. I feel like that's what the kids are calling it these days. Yeah, yeah. Slash, like I only just realized that that's what people are calling people who loop loopers. Sounds very sci-fi to me, Looper. I don't know. I can't probably because there's a sci-fi film called Looper. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, and she's fantastic. So I'm gonna throw to one of her songs just for a little bit right now, and then um, when we come back, we'll move into design. Okay, so yes, so design. So I think the astrology segment last week was a bit of a bust, and the reason for that is because I didn't really know what I was talking about. Sure. And uh, so I decided this week to just have a bit of a do-over, and the do-over is just um, still the same kind of mode of stew analysis. But I want to, but I know a lot more about this kind of shit. So. My opening question would be, do you know your Myers-Briggs already? I do not. Okay, that's great. So the so the next way that we'll do it is rather than like having you do a test, mm-hmm. I want to just chat with you sure. and suss it out. Because okay. it's actually, I think, pretty simple. Most important thing to understand is that Myers-Briggs, you know, people want to talk about it. People want to criticize it. It's cool. It's just a rubric. There's 16 types. Obviously, the intricate tapestry yeah. of humanity is much more complex I than 16 people. types. Put in their little four-letter thing up on OkCupid all the time. Yeah. I never know what they are, so I was like, that's not helpful information to me. Exactly. Well, you but are... But now we're about to learn. You are so totally going to learn, exciting. and it's going to be great. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, which makes it, again, a little bit more complex, is that um, all of these things are on a continuum. So it's best to think of them as preferences. So, for example, are you right-handed or left-handed? Right-handed. So you, we could say that you have a preference to use your right hand from your left hand. It's not that you can't use your left hand. And if you somehow lost the ability to use your right hand, you would be able to learn how to sure. use it your left hand. But it would probably always feel like a, something a bit improvised, right? And I think it's important when we talk about these kind of things to use that same 
idea. So makes sense to me. <laughs> exactly. So the there's four different either ors basically in Myers Briggs. The first one is extroversion and introversion. So you probably have a sense just from popular culture what you're what you are. But the main question that's most important is like how do you recharge? Like what is what is energizing for you? How do you feel better? Oh yeah, that's like I'd like a long time to right. read or play video games or even just chill out. So yeah. I, I, that one I would say I presuppose the thing I am an introvert and that being around people for long periods of time is exhausting. Exactly. Right. So I'm not surprised by that. You know, I'm an extrovert. Uh, <laughs> but I think for me, one of the dominant things, it's not even that I really like being around big groups of people. In fact, I'm also an extrovert who's like shy to some extent and also like somewhat socially anxious. And I know introverts who are not shy, actually. And so I think that's a that's a good one to kind of knock down. But the thing for me that's critical about my extroversion is that Everything that I'm thinking and knowing and understanding in the world is happening as I'm communicating it, like as it is live coming out of my mouth to another person. Like this is how I process is out loud with another person. Right. And so there's always a kind of need for me to to analyze, to connect, to make sense of, and in a sense then calm down or be be right with the world in concert with another person. And my experience has been that introverts are the opposite. Like, for them to make sense of the world and their thoughts and feelings, they need to just be, like, totally fucking alone for X amount of hours in a day or whatever. And this often manifests, like, a kind of sleepiness or, like, intense antisocial kind of feeling when really they're just doing the completely normal thing for Mm. themselves. I'm all for the, like, introvert movement of, like, understanding people need different amounts of time to do their shit yeah yeah i sometimes i do like i like i enjoy at least in a creative sense i do enjoy clever things i don't mind i do like talking things out in that way Mm -hmm. Um, but i also do a lot of my own creation like alone and like work sketching things out writing things down and editing 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 myself so yeah i think yeah like you said it's a spectrum right so mm-hmm. there's always that i can have moments of uh, totally not being shy and being a, able to like head into a crowd and yeah again yeah. though i feel like it's i really want to break down the idea that introverts are like loners at home and extroverts are like people in a party like or that love crowds like i hate crowds <laughs> yeah, yeah. the peony is like my nightmare <laughs> but but um But for me, I just, I need the energy of another person in order to kind of relax, actually. Being alone for me is just the time in between being with other people. So. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, like I said, where I'm, I can go into a crowd and have a good time and stuff. It is definitely, there's always like an element of like anxiousness attached to that. Whereas I'm absolutely comfortable just like spending time by myself. Yeah. So let's say you're a dominant introvert then. I think that's probably fair. Um, So the next sort of tier is basically kind of the way you process your world. And Mm -hmm. it's N or S. And the N stands for intuitive and the S stands for sensing. And Ns are analytical, um, tend to think in patterns, are obviously much more interested in politics, uh, Mm -hmm. philosophy. 
And S people are have a tendency to be more immediate in their life and be more in touch with their senses or interpret the world through their senses. Ns are not typically in touch with the world through their senses or that's not their main way of processing information. I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay. Because I do have that sort of very analytical sense, but I do feel like I interact with the world a lot very through my senses. Yeah. I think this one's a little bit of a wild card for like artist types because I think to be honest though I think most artist types are well, actually no. I have no idea. Well, <laughs> I think it really depends I mean, on the person, but I'm also an artist type who's got a, you know, very interested in science and that kind of stuff. What's difficult for me about um helping people to understand N and S is that I'm so N that I it's difficult for me to understand what S is like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I, I actually don't really get S. Um, the analogy I've made up, and it's not probably the best one to explain to you because it's very inside baseball of inside basketball. It's a very sports mm-hmm. reference, which is like the eye test versus the advanced stats. It's kind of what I'm seeing, how I'm pitching this. And like guys that look at like, well, you know, he just doesn't look good on the field. Whereas the guys like, well, actually the advanced stats the show that like is, I don't know if that's yeah. the best I mean, basis, but yeah, I'm more be. of an eye test guy. Than so that's an, S, that's an S kind of thing then. Yeah. When watching like a particularly scary movie that's mm-hmm. not... Um, you know, it's just like an action thriller or yeah. whatever, but like a, a kind of movie that's sort of set in a world that could be real. Mm-hmm. Um, in my experience, S's enjoy these movies more than N's because N's find them like terrifying on a spiritual level or on an existential level. But like a movie that's like zombies or like crazy shit that could never exist, these movies are not really even that interesting or threatening for an N person because they're like, that's not real. Whereas those movies tend to scare an S a little bit more because there's an immediacy to that kind of thing. I don't know. It's not the I do feel, again, like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle of that as well. If I was going to place myself, I'd place myself somewhere in the middle, probably leaning towards S. Okay. But I can't, I wouldn't say I'm I'm a dominant S at all. I prefer the eye test, but I understand the usefulness of stats. Right. (laughs) I mean, okay. Have you ever fantasized about being like the president of the world? Not really. Okay. So you're an S. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So the next one is um, F and T, which stands for feeling and thinking, which is like the worst description for this particular paradigm. I also think that this one is super gendered in the sense that um, I don't even know if it was part of the original analysis. I think this might have been added by the like ladies in the 40s who made up this whole thing. I say that like ladies wouldn't be qualified, but I think they actually weren't qualified, and I think that was the thing. <laughs> and when I say made up the whole thing, of course I mean adapted it from the original Jungian personality type theory. Obviously. Um, anyway, so feeling and thinking is a little bit like... Um, is this like emotional versus intellectual? Rational, thing? not yeah. intellectual, rational. rational yeah. yeah, so it's more like justice versus mercy. Um, I describe it this way. A good example is if a friend comes to you and is crying, like really upset about something, mm-hmm. is your first instinct to sit that person down and just be like, let's talk about it, like what happened, like want to understand, like what can we do, like, you know, what's going on, like let's fix this, da, da, da. or... Is your first instinct to hug that person? Uh, be to hug them. Yeah. So you're probably a feeler. Where the gendered element comes mm-hmm. in is, in my opinion, like there's like a kind of, you know, our sort of cultural dominant mode is for men to be assumed to be thinkers, the T-type, and women mm-hmm. to assumed to be the feelers. 
And where there's transgressions, where men are more empathetic and compassionate, and where women are more rational and less empathetic and compassionate, Mm -hmm. they're seen as kind of disobeying the gender roles and can often be made fun of. You know, think of every female politician you've ever seen and think of every, quote, sensitive guy you've ever met. So if you're like, (laughs) huh, sensitive guy, like, I've definitely been beat up for that, then you're like, enough. For sure. (laughs) Um, Do you have any questions about that one? No, no, that, that makes sense. It's not a terribly complicated layer. I I also think that for the people who are in the kind of gender transgressive, and of course this like, that kind of analysis stipulates a stable binary gender paradigm, which of course is not real, but like for the purposes of this argument, (laughs) I think that the men who have this F preference and women who have the T preference, they both have a, have a bit of an understanding of what it's like to be the other kind because they were probably programmed to be that kind of person. Mm And so I'm a T, but I have a lot of F programming. Or like, I'm now maybe an F, actually. I think there's differing theories about whether or not your personality changes over time. But Sure, I mean, and I definitely can recognize some T values in myself as well. But... but F would be more your dominant. Yes. Right. So the last one is, so the last one is P and J, which is um, perceiving and judging. And neither of those things have to do with those words particularly. So it's... My guess was going to be pajamas or jeans. So. <laughs> or peanut butter. <laughs> pajamas and jeans. Choice I like it. <laughs> I like that that's like, that's the stew, stew binary. Pajamas and jeans. Um, mine would be like leggings and I'm jeans. really into designer sweatpants, but I've devoted <laughs> more time than necessary on uh, past podcasts about my love of designer sweatpants. So. Into it. I'm into it. Yeah. I think of this one as sort of like, it's kind of like how you organize yourself. And J's are people who tend to be very schedule-oriented, very like, I use a day timer and it's meaningful and helpful for me. And P's are the kind of people who, I don't know, tend to be a bit more spontaneous, a bit more in the moment, um, are often more present, um, but also uh, tend maybe tend not to find the use of a calendar or excessive scheduling to be useful or helpful for them. I think it's an incorrect assumption that a J is like a person with a very tidy and neat apartment Mm -hmm. and a P would be one with a messy apartment. I think that's not necessarily the case, but a J would be wishing that it were clean and organized and a P is like, meh, this is who I am. (laughs) Like, I think that's kind of the difference. Like, I'm a J, but I'm also like the kind of person who really likes to kind of organize everything on my desk at right angles. So that's pretty J. But I also just love scheduling. Like I remember I got into, I was in a relationship earlier this year and I remember having this tweet where I was like, how soon is too soon for a shared Google calendar? Just cause I feel like at some point it's just easier to share a calendar with your partner. But um, I think probably a P. (laughs) Where it's the the whole shared Google calendar thing just terrifies me. (laughs) Right, exactly. And I just feel like I would never put it. You, it would just be that person putting stuff into the Google calendar. I would. Yeah. I'd be like, can't we just agree that we do things on a Monday and just remember that? (laughs) Yeah. So that means that you are probably an ISFP. And let's just have a little reedy read of what that is. My favorite page that I go to for this is like such a classic like 2000s this is very like 1998 like, website yeah this is like geocities for sure and it's like actually been updated in recent years but it, it hasn't really changed like there's still a little icon that's kind of like a 3d flipping email it, like at symbol is it in comic sans 
I think it might have just changed to Comic Sans. No, I don't think that's Comic Sans. But anyway. It's close. And it is a designer. <laughs> ISFP. The artist. Hmm. As an ISFP, your primary mode of living is focused internally, where you deal with things according to how you feel about them or how they fit into your value system. Your secondary mode is external, where you take things in via your five senses in a literal, concrete fashion. ISFPs live in a world of sensation possibilities. They're keenly in tune with the way things look, taste, sound, feel, and smell. They have a strong aesthetic appreciation for art and are likely to be artists in some form because they're usually, they are unusually gifted at creating and composing things, which will strongly affect the senses. They tend to be quiet and reserved, and difficult to get to know well. They hold back their ideas and opinions, except from those they are closest to, or people on a podcast. Um, they're likely to be kind and close and... with all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> We're all close personal friends. <laughs> they're likely to be kind, gentle, and sensitive in their dealings with others. They are action-oriented. They are doers, and usually uncomfortable with theorizing and ideas unless they see a practical application. They learn best in a hands-on environment perceptive, sympathetic, no desire to lead or control others, um, many special gifts in the world. Does that feel accurate for you? Yeah. Yeah. So your strengths are warm, friendly, affirming by nature, usually optimistic, good listener, good at dealing with practical day-to-day concerns, flexible, laid back, willing to defer to their mates, love of aesthetic beauty and appreciation for function makes them likely to have attractive functional homes. Uh, take their commitment seriously, seek lifelong relationships, likely to value and respect others' personal space, likely to enjoy showing their affection through acts and deeds, sensuous and earthy. Well, we already know that you're earthy. (laughs) (laughs) Weaknesses. Not good at long-range financial planning. Extreme dislike... Ding. (laughs) Extreme dislike of conflict and criticism. Ding. Focus on enjoying the present moment. They may appear lazy or slow-moving at times. Mm -hmm. Need to have their own space and dislike having it invaded. Yep. Maybe slow to show their affection with words. Mm-hmm. Tendency to hold back their thoughts, feelings, and less drawn out. Not so much of that. I will. I will express my thoughts. And yeah. feelings. that could be your your kind of more balance in your E mm-hmm. is your ability to like verbalize. It may become overly cynical or practical. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay, well, there's plenty. So I recommend you go to personalitypage.com and have a look because there's a ton of different stuff like careers and relationships and areas of growth. And it's like a cheesy old website, but it's got <laughs> it's pretty good. And I find it, I find this whole website actually quite useful. Um, you can get past Comic Sans. You can get past whatever this is. Yeah, I don't think this is Sans. I think it's like Ariel. Your ideal partner or your natural partner is an ESFJ or an ENFJ, which is me. I'm an, well, I'm an, I originally was an ENTJ, but I've become with time a bit more of an ENFJ. So yeah, we're like basically opposites. Made to be a podcast We're the yin and yang of Myers-Briggs. ENFJs. Good verbal communication skills. Very perceptive about people's thoughts and motives. Motivational, inspirational, brings out the best in others. Warmly affectionate and affirming. Fun to be with. Lively sense of humor. Dramatic, energetic, optimistic. Good money skills. Totally incorrect. Able to move on after a love relationship has failed, although they blame themselves. The second part is right. (laughs) Uh, Loyal and committed. They want lifelong relationships. That's correct. Strive for win-win situations. That's true. Whenever people have, like, whenever my friends have some kind of drama or problem or issue or whatever, I'm always like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I'm like dial a silver lining. Like, I'm like a terminal optimist slash like benefit of the doubter. Uh, Driven to meet others' needs. That's pretty true. My weaknesses are tend to be smothering and overprotective. 
I would say that's true. <laughs> Tendency to be controlling or manipulative. I mean, I'm going to go with that's probably true. Don't pay enough attention to their own needs. Like, don't even know what their own needs are. <laughs> Tend to be critical of opinions and attitudes which don't match their own. That's sometimes true. Sometimes unaware of social appropriateness or protocol. Definitely the case for me. Extremely sensitive to conflict with a tendency to sweep things under the rug as an avoidance tactic. That's probably not really me. I think I'm... I am sensitive to conflict, but I will go into it because I think that's where the juice is. Tendency to blame themselves when things go wrong or not give themselves credit when things go right. Generally, that's probably true. Sharply defined value systems make them unbending in some areas. I don't think that about myself, but I've encountered a lot of people who think <laughs> that about me. So that's probably true. And they may be so attuned to what's socially accepted or expected that they're unable to assess whether something is right or wrong outside of what their social circle expects. Interesting. I like Myers-Briggs. It's fun. But to me, it's the same exact, like, juju like, <laughs> as astrology. To me, it's, like, all the same kind of, like... I am seen. Like, I exist in the world. Like, parts of who I am and what makes me weird are, like, shared by other people because of, you know, Mars and Jupiter or, like, your T and your J and your F. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess this is another thing because the, the thing about S's is that S's tend to not give a shit about Myers-Briggs because an S thing is to kind of not necessarily be drawn towards grand systems of... Mm-hmm knowledge <laughs> or grand systems of organizing knowledge put it that way they're definitely interested in knowledge but not necessarily in like the jungle gym of knowledge they're more like look at all these knowledge sand piles <laughs> i don't know uh, and i'm very like stare out of the bus and like think about how everything would be better organized in the entire world alone <laughs> anyway so yeah i think we've kind of wrapped up design there for another week October 4th is the launch party for the next issue of Sad Mag. That's at Make. I think it's actually just called Make and not Make Gallery. But um, that's going to be great. It's free. It's part of, um, what's that called? Like Words, Vancouver, Art, Art Fair, Book Week. I don't know. I can't keep up with all those shit in town. But there's some kind of art book, book fair, book week, book yeah. thing. We'll put the details. <laughs> this is related the, to that. Details in the thing. The thing being uh, the Tumblr post. Right. So we Go have... Go to sadcast.tumblr.com. Exactly. It's where you can find us and where you can find all the links to everything that we talked about. Um, the um, intro and outro music and all that kind of stuff. So just everything you need to know about this. Yeah, if you want to... Join the conversation in a way. You can email us at uh, sadcastpodmeg at gmail.com. Perfect. Uh, and you can tweet at me at, at stupop. And I'm at ostensibly clear. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening. And um, we hope to continue to grow our little baby podcast yes, each, and, uh, each week. Sadmeg.ca. A subscription. Uh, I think it's only $24. It's $24, exactly. And uh, last episode, I promised that there was going to be a 50% off thing on the 17th, which didn't end up happening for complicated reasons. So potentially that'll come up soon. So keep your ears perked, actually, if you want to get a deal. <laughs> There'll be a, a rush on, uh, on $12 subscriptions. Um, and we do tend to do a bit of a drive before the next issue comes out because. Um, you know, if you sign up right before the, we do the big mail-out with the next issue. And if you come out to the launch on October 4th, you can get a subscription there as well. Absolutely. 
Okay, so thanks for listening. And see us in person. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be exactly. There. We'll be there. Although it's my friend's 40th birthday that night, so I will well, also be, be going to... No, I will be there. I will for sure be there, but I will also have to go somewhere else. <laughs> Busy people here at Sadcast. we got lots of places to be. I'll be there the whole night or until I get tired. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, introvert o'clock equals he's leaving at 9.45. Um, okay, thanks very much, and thanks for listening, and um, goodbye.